Hi, and welcome to Natural Life Flow, the podcast for self-care to uplift you to your best self, sponsored by Debbie Spink Holistic Therapies. My name's Debbie, I'm the host of the podcast, with special guests or myself each week. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please comment, like or share, and subscribe to the podcast. It all helps to spread the natural word. Hi and welcome to podcast and today we have a very special guest, Mike Rapidich. and I've probably said that wrong after all this but hey I'm sure Mike will correct me and Mike owns Ferrovina, a company sourcing independent wine producers that craft natural wines with the aim of being more healthy than most major wines on the market. So hi Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Great stuff. So perhaps you can tell us what inspired you to start Ferrovino Wines. Yeah. Um, in short, it was my, uh, it was my girlfriend, actually. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend at the time and, and currently, actually, uh, you know, still, still my girlfriend. Uh, so she's, uh, she's in the health field. She's, she's a naturopath and a nutritional therapist. And, yeah, when we started dating, you know, she, she drinks, but, you know, not a lot. And, you know, we were chatting about my profession. And at one point, you know, she started, yeah, I, I forget how we came about, but I started telling her um, about various things about wine. And we were just talking about, I think we started talking about additives in wine. And she was kind of shocked to find out that there's all kinds of additives that can be put into wine, processing aids. There's a lot of stuff in wine beyond just grapes, right? She never really thought about it. And then we kind of started talking about it some more. She basically said, okay, so are there wines that kind of don't have this stuff? You know, would they be healthier? And I was like, yeah, I guess that would be healthier. And I just started doing some research, you know, slowly at first, just kind of for fun. And then I started doing more intense research into what would actually make some wines healthier than others. And that's kind of where the business came about. I wanted to, I wanted to start a wine business for a while anyway. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, you know, maybe a wine bar, maybe something else. And yeah, I landed on, uh, you know, selling wine online and selling it to health conscious drinkers, you know, wines that fit in with their philosophy. And yeah, that's, that's how it started. Fantastic. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that are listening that like, like a good tipple, but we all know that wine's like full of alcohol and you get the bad head next day. So what exactly is in wine that makes it unhealthy? Well, primarily alcohol. I mean, alcohol is probably like if you, if wine just didn't have alcohol, it would actually be a fairly fairly nice drink. I mean, you know, it would contain antioxidants, it would contain a lot of other beneficial compounds. It wouldn't contain a lot of sugar because, you know, that's where the alcohol comes from. So if you just took out the alcohol, that's, that would be the case. So it's basically alcohol that makes wine unhealthy. Uh, sugar to an extent, preservatives, you know, they're not, they're not great for you. And yeah, a lot of the additives in wine aren't great either. So that's, um, that's essentially what caused the problem. So yeah, look, I mean, if people want to, yeah, if people have, have a concern about alcohol, Wine does contain alcohol, unfortunately. So, you know, if you just don't want to drink at all, then, you know, maybe wine's not for you. But yeah, if you do want to drink, you know, wine is definitely one of the healthier options that you can go with, especially if you make certain, certain health conscious choices like, you know, like I do in selecting the wines for, uh, for my business. So what makes the difference with your products? Why are they like healthier? Well, basically... Before I select a wine for my business, for Ferravina, it needs to meet certain criteria. And 
these criteria are okay so first it has to be organic or biodynamic so it has to be you know grown without pesticides chemicals fungicides you know synthetic fertilizers etc the grapes have to be hand-picked after that they have to be wild fermented there can't be any additives any additives or processing aids in the winery during the winemaking process whatsoever Beyond that, the wines are allowed to have a small amount of sulfites before bottling. That's significant that that happens at that stage and not earlier in the process. It also has to be a very limited amount. So I only allow 50 parts per million, which is basically the lowest that anyone allows. Generally, 75 is sort of where people say the wines are no longer natural. And yeah, about 20 is naturally occurring. So basically, if you don't add any sulfites at all to your wine, it's still going to have like 20 parts per million. So I allow like a little bit more than that. Beyond that, it has to be below 8.5% alcohol. It has to be below three grams per liter or half a gram per glass of sugar. And also the wines have to be vegan friendly. That's not so much thing that makes them healthier, but a lot of a lot of people who are pursuing, a, you know, who care about their health or into health, wellness, fitness, they happen to be vegan. So I don't want them to be excluded. So we make sure our wines are vegan friendly as well. That's essentially it. That's that's basically what makes our wines. That's what makes our wines the the healthier choice. And each of these criteria have a reason behind them. Like I didn't just pick them because they sounded good. I picked them because every one of them has a actual scientific rationale behind me not allowing a wine that doesn't meet this criterion into the boxes. So it's it's interesting, obviously, with the like health aspect and vegans what animal products normally go into like a regular wine well okay so there are two reasons why a wine would not be vegan the first reason is if the grapes aren't picked by hand so if the grapes are picked by machine these are big you know cumbersome machines that kind of like you just go through the through uh, rows of grapevines they kind of like shake the grapes off kind of suck them in and little animals that live in the vineyard can just end up in this in these grapes that are picked this doesn't happen if you handpick the grapes so you know like little you know rodents and insects and things like that just end up in this in the basically the bins where the grapes are picked into and sometimes they can be sorted out but they are killed which is you know not ideal for vegans sometimes they can be sorted out and sometimes they just go straight into the fermenting tank and you know just a whole bunch of sulfur is added to disinfect the the whole situation this is how commercial wine is made so they can end up in there that's the first reason it's just not a very nice process of picking grapes that way and it hurts animals the second reason is if the finished wine is fined using animal products so fining is basically a process where you add a product to the wine while it's still kind of cloudy and this product kind of forms a mesh and sinks down to the bottom so that it can be easily filtered out and it takes all the particles with it. And often animal products are used for this, things like egg white albumin, casein, I think called isinglass, which is um, commonly used. It's, a, uh, it's like a slurry made from fish uh, swim bladders. So this can be used to find the wine. Now, basically, I select wines that you know, are hand-picked and basically all of my wines are unfined. Um, There are a few that are fined, but they're not fined with animal products. You'd be fined with like bentonite clay or something like that. And the thing is, fining is a fairly unnecessary process. A wine will just sort of settle out on its own. Fining is just there kind of for cosmetics, you know, just to make the wine a kind of shiny, bright color. Like it doesn't make it taste any better, probably makes it taste worse. That's one of the reasons why I don't sell a lot of fined wines, because I just find that the additional kind of texture from the unfined wine is actually really quite lovely it just you know the wine isn't quite as bright you know as and shiny as it would be normally which you know doesn't bother me it doesn't bother most people and it also just through time through time just particles will just settle out 
but you know, commercial wineries don't, you know, don't want wine to sit there for six months, you know, in a barrel and settle out, you know, they want that thing on the market so they can sell it. Right. And, you know, that's why they find their wines, just get them out there. Uh, just, you know, small independent producers I work with, they, you know, care a lot more about their finished product. They're not making a lot of wine. They want to take their time and they are very happy to let the wine just kind of settle on its own and have that additional texture, you know, from the unfined wine. And, you know, once they bottle it, that, that's, that's the, that's the reason for why they can't be vegan. That's interesting about the like the brightness of the wine and it translates into all sorts of other products like the shiny apples, the perfect round shape, the bananas that are yeah. curved just so. And really you see like fruits that have got scarring and things. It's just the character of the fruit, but it doesn't affect what's in them and the eating of them. So perfection that we've been trained to aspire to through the supermarkets. So the natural... It's weird, right? It is, yeah, yeah. The natural wines, how would you know what a natural wine is? Do you have to research on the internet or if you're a consumer or could you look on the label of the bottle and find that information? You can't really find it on the label of the bottle. There are there are some cues maybe, but uh, no, for the most part, you can't. You might be able to soon. The um, the AOP or what, what's it called? The Appellation de Régime Contrôlé Protégé in France. They basically, they're in charge of kind of the wine labeling in France. Like, you know, which which kind of, you know, various things you're allowed to put on the label and which you aren't. I think they're coming out with a natural wine label, uh, but it's still in the works. I think maybe soon they're going to be, you know, coming out with a, this is probably going to be the first vintage that has it, but that's just for France. The rest of the world, no, basically you have no idea. You, you can't know by looking at the label. You can walk into a bottle shop and ask. The term is still sort of misused a lot. And, you know, a lot of people sort of think it's open to interpretation, you know, for convenient reasons. You know, they kind of go, oh, well, who, no one knows what natural wine is. And they kind of, like to say that in order to hide, you know, certain certain things. But basically a natural wine is kind of just a wine the way it's meant to be made. So, you know, grapes grown without chemicals, wine made without chemicals. So kind of nothing added, nothing taken out. That's that's the that's the idea behind natural wine. So all of the wines that I sell are natural, you know, because they fit those criteria. You know, the wines are all organic or biodynamic in the vineyards. They're naturally fermented, you know, without any added yeasts. There's no additives. That's it. The only the only thing they receive is maybe a little bit of sulfur right at the end to preserve them in the bottle. That's essentially natural wine. Some people would say that if it has any sulfur whatsoever, it's no longer a natural wine. I don't know. I think that's a little bit of a puritanical approach. I think, you know, there's some sulfur in the wine already just naturally. Um, if you kind of add a little bit more right at the end where it doesn't go, isn't going to affect the actual process of how the wine is made, I don't really see that as a huge problem. But um, yeah, that, that that's it. So look, if you... You know, if you're not in, if you're in Australia and you want natural wine, you know, come, come buy some wine from me. And there are other good merchants that, you know, do the same. But if you're not, basically, look, you need to try and find small independent bottle shops. Large commercial bottle shops aren't likely to have good selections of natural wine because natural wine, by definition, you can't make really huge volumes of it. So sort of nationwide chains in America or the UK or France or anywhere, they're probably not going to be that interested in stocking natural wines because they won't be able to stock it in all of their shops across the country. So they just won't do it. And but smaller places will. So if you go to a smaller place where the staff are knowledgeable, they could probably help you out. If you go to decent restaurants, you know, high-end restaurants that are, you know, at least a little bit modern, you know, really classic ones might not have much natural wine. 
but you know some of the more modern ones you know saying it's been open in the last 10 years they might they might have some you know you could probably go in there if they've got a sommelier or you know someone who's knowledgeable you can ask them you know do you have any natural wine i'd like to i'd be interested in getting some yeah and it's it's becoming more and more common but bear in mind i mean natural wine is about like probably 0.1 if not less percent of the wine in the world so out of a thousand bottles you know you'd be lucky if one of them's natural you know it's natural wine is a really really small production so you you just you know you just got to find them essentially mm-hmm. again if you're in a city you're probably a little bit more likely to find it if you're in a smaller town you might have a little bit less luck again if you're in a more urban center of a city you have more luck if you're in a more suburban places less so yeah it's um you know they're a little bit hard to find which is why people like me exist you know i like to kind of gather them all together and get them out there get them get them to the people yeah, yeah, it sounds really great what you're doing and supporting these small independent producers as well. What's the distribution of um, like suppliers that you use? Well, for me, yeah, for the like the farmers producer. Oh right, right. Well, well, being in Australia, if I am, um, it, it depends. I mean, I generally tend to work with small suppliers, small importers. And oftentimes directly with the wineries themselves. So if I'm, but generally I can only really work with the winery itself directly if it's in Australia. Anywhere else, if I wanted to buy wine from a winery in say Italy that doesn't have representation in Australia, I'd have to import it. In order to import it, I have to basically buy an entire palette and I'm just not quite there yet. I'm hoping to do it eventually. I mean, that is, that is the plan to actually import wine for Ferravina directly. But at the moment I am unfortunately still relying on, well, not unfortunately, you know, people get you know, this is a job, you know, people do, you know, make a living out of this. I'm still relying on importers and distributors a lot of the time, which is also, you know, it, it can be kind of helpful because they do, I don't know, for me at least, I've found that it's a little bit easier to get kind of like real kind of candor out of distributors and importers more so than wineries because wineries, you know, they have just one product to sell you. And if, if, if their product kind of doesn't, or like, they might have a few wines, but they basically just have, you know, so if they, their wine doesn't fit our criteria, they don't, they're, they're kind of the ones who are a little bit more likely to go, oh, you know, well, it's not fully organic, it's kind of close, and, you know, we're sort of doing this, and when it comes to sulfur, look, we might add a little bit here, a little bit there, they're, or like, you know, they kind of try and embellish and kind of try and squeeze themselves into your criteria, right, which mm-hmm. is not the point. Whereas distributors have probably like 10, 20 wines on their portfolio, like the smaller ones I work with, the big ones have like a hundred, but I don't really work with them. And they'll kind of go, they'll kind of be more honest because they're more trying to preserve their relationship with you as opposed to trying to represent one single winery. So if a winery doesn't fit your criteria, they'll sort of come out and say, oh no, these guys actually use a little bit too much sulfur or like, oh, this wine here, you know, actually has a bit of added yeast and, you know, therefore maybe you should use this one here instead. You know, so that's kind of, so it is kind of helpful to have this sort of middle, middleman, you know, to give you that honesty, but, you know, eventually I don't mind working with wineries, you know, if someone is being forthright and, you know, a lot of them are, you know, then it's, then it's totally okay. Sounds great. What about the customer experience? Is there like a full range of wines that you have regularly available? Well, this is how I do it. So we sort of rotate our wines pretty regularly every month or two like i mean there, there are wines kind of constantly running out of stock and coming in stock and because these wines are again you know small productions that are limited runs you know i'll have a wine one month and then it's gone until next year right so that's kind of i'm, I'm basically always maintaining a certain level of quality and i'm maintaining a whole bunch of different styles from different countries 
So you get a white pack, you know, you might get maybe like two Australian wines, four international wines or three and three, something like that. There might be a sparkling in it. There might be an orange skin contact wine. In the red packs, you know, you might get a rosé, you know, might get a sparkling red, you know, the rest will be kind of just, you know, lighter to fuller bodied reds, you know, and a whole bunch of different, you know, all countries from all over the world, grape varieties you've never heard of. Like, I like to really mix it up. I'm almost like, because my background is actually as a sommelier, my background is in wine, my background isn't necessarily in health, even though I did study medical science once upon a time, hence why I'm able to maybe understand some of these health conscious things more than maybe some of my contemporaries in the wine world. However, you know, I'm almost trying to use this as a little bit of a gateway drug. You know, I want to, you know, I want to expose people to like this wonderful world of wine they normally wouldn't experience, but, you know, I'm also kind of doing it, you know, so you're buying the wines because they're health conscious, but then you also get to experience these really, these really fantastic wines from, you know, that you would never have normally chosen. Now, the one thing is I don't let people pick, pick and choose their own wines. So it's not like going into a shop and going, I want three of this and two of this. And the reason I don't do that is because, well, first of all, the wines are constantly coming and going. But the other more important reason is, is because I want people to kind of go on a bit of an adventure. And in my experience as a sommelier, what I've found is that it's not so much that people know what they like, it's people like what they know. So if you've never been exposed to, I don't know, I'll pick a random grape variety, Arnis, okay, you're not going to buy it, you know, even though you might love it. You know, you might think it's great. You know, you're going to buy the stuff that you're used to. You know, you're going to buy your Sauv Blanc, your Chardonnay, your Riesling, your Pinot Gris, you know, whatever. And I do have these grape varieties in my packs occasionally. I don't, I don't dislike them, you know. It's more that I want to try and expose people to stuff they haven't tried. And but stuff that they will still love. So that's the reason why I don't let people choose their wines. Because um, if, you, if I let people choose their wines, I would basically, you know, the reds, I would just sell eight times as much, you know, Shiraz as I would everything else. I would sell eight times as much Riesling as I would everything else in the whites. You know, because those are the familiar varieties and I'll sell stuff from familiar regions. You know, Australian people will pick just Australian wine, you know, because they're used to it or they'll pick wine from regions. They, they like, for example, I've got a really fantastic um, Chilean orange wine at the moment, you know, made from, it's like a blend of a, like three different grapes. It, you know, it's got a bit of skin contact. It's really quite fun. Most people aren't going to choose that wine. You know, if it's in their box, they'll drink it and I'll go, wow, this is amazing. But they're not going to pick it because they're going to go, ah, oh, Chile, I've never had a wine from there. Oh, I've never heard of those grape varieties. Oh, I've never heard of that producer. Yeah, no, I'll stick to something that seems more familiar. My packs are not about sticking to what, what's familiar for you. My packs are about having wine that's, that fits in with your health conscious lifestyle. And it's also about having wine that you, you know, normally wouldn't try, but are going to love regardless. Yeah, I like that. That's great to have that kind of adventure. And it's like when you're at a restaurant and you say to the sommelier, choose me something that's going to be appropriate for what I'm eating. And it's that bond of trust and just being able to explore with somebody that, that knows what they're doing. So, yeah, I can see. That's it. You just got to let go. You just got to kind of like, you know, be open to, it's got to be open to having a, having a new experience. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, and if you sort of, if you give people the chance, you know, they'll gravitate towards the familiar. You've got to, you've got to kind of pull them out of their comfort zone a little bit sometimes, which is, yeah. which is very rewarding. That's why there's McDonald's restaurants all over the world, because everybody knows exactly what they're going to get when they go to McDonald's. Well, there you go. That's it. You know, it's not very good, but no. you know, you're familiar <laughs> with it. And I guess, I guess that's where you'll, that's where you'll go, you know, automatically. Yeah. Whereas if there was no McDonald's there, you'll try a different place and probably enjoy it a lot more. 
Absolutely true. How do you feel your products could bring like change to the world? Well, I mean, the world's a big place, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much they could change the world. I mean, they could definitely, uh, like, they're, they're actually, yeah, you know what? The world is a big place, but you know, it's, it's all one step at a time. So, well, first of all, you know, we are going through a bit of a special time at the moment, you know, with, you know, with the fact that we are seeing a lot of our, you know, farmland sort of degenerate and we are, you know, our our arable sort of fertile land is slowly diminishing, you know, the number of people in the world is increasing. There are pressures, you know, from global warming and climate change and all of that. And honestly, especially like organic farming, but especially biodynamic farming, you know, regenerative farming is going to be more and more important. As, as time goes on, we are simply not going to be able to keep basically exploiting the land and pumping chemicals into it in order to produce our food forever. And I look at biodynamic farms, you know, farms that are basically, you know, really investing in their soil, trying to regenerate the soil, increasing soil health. These soils are trapping massive amounts of carbon, you know, in earthworms and in humus and in, you know, all this other stuff and providing habitats for animals, providing habitats for your native plant species, and actually producing superior quality crops and, you know, fairly high yields as well, and very disease resistant and climate resistant crops as well. So I'm finding that, you know, a lot of my biodynamic producers are basically saying, look, this is almost like a hedge against, you know, weather extremes and against global warming and things like that. I mean, like producing really, really strong grapevines on these super fertile, really rich soils is basically the only way forward. And they're finding these, they're taking these plots, converting them to biodynamics and making this earth more fertile and basically having more life in it than before the vineyard was ever even planted. So essentially, you know, I think that is the way forward. I think, you know, there are, you know, essentially biodynamic farming. You know, there are other types of farming as well. For example, if you have cattle, I mean, there's, you know, the kind of, you know, grazing and having them sort of improve the land. But um, yeah, biodynamic farming, like especially for crops that take a lot out of the land, like grains, that is going to make a huge difference if we are able to convert that. I think I think I listened to a lecture at one point where, because um, I've listened to a few lectures from biodynamic um, wine growers, and uh, one of them said that basically if all the land that we are farming right now in the world was just farmed biodynamically, we would essentially solve all of our emission problems and our climate problems. I mean, that, that would be it. Like, that would be enough. We, we could still, you know, drive cars and use fossil fuels and whatever. You know, as long as we biodynamically farmed, that would basically solve the problem, just in the amount of carbon that it would trap and, you know, what have you. And uh, I just found that to be fairly amazing. And I just thought, well, that's probably, that might be the only way forward, honestly. If we want to, you know, keep living on this planet, for you know another you know several thousand years if we you know we want to have the amount of people that we have now then you know farming biodynamically is basically almost going to be compulsory so you know i support growers that do that you know i basically in australia at least it's fairly easy to get organic it's not easy to get organic certification but you can sort of be a large-scale farm and be organically certified like you can do that so there are ways to essentially get organic certification, but, you know, still use, you know, fertilizers and pesticides and all that stuff, but you're just using the organically certified ones. Whereas, 
the growers and stuff that I work with, they're basically the ones who just try not to use that stuff at all. So a lot of them are organic, but like practicing some level of biodynamics or practicing regenerative agriculture, or they're just straight up biodynamic. And look, the more of these, the better. And these growers and these producers, they need our support. And, you know, I want, I want their products in, in people's hands. I think that really is the way forward. And the other way, I suppose, is getting people to, you know, I mean, I, I, I do enjoy drinking myself, but I mean, I've always thought that, you know, people's attitude towards alcohol really needs to change. And I think, you know, sort of just, especially when it comes to wine, like just depriving yourself and just going, the only way for me to, you know, make health conscious choices when it comes to wine is to drink less or to drink with food or to have like two alcohol free days a week or whatever. People are always thinking about alcohol in those terms. People are never thinking, okay, if I'm going to drink alcohol, what is the healthiest alcohol I can drink? You know, what is a healthier choice I can make there? That, that is actually what people should be asking themselves. We do that with food. You know, when it comes to food, we sort of think like, what is a healthier food I can have? We don't think, okay, well, I'm going to have pizza and cheeseburgers. And the only way for me to be healthier is just to have less pizza and cheeseburgers, I guess. No, you, you can have vegetables. You can have all sorts of other, you know, food. You know, you don't have to eat unhealthy food and improve your health by having less of it. That's, that's sort of, you know, what I'm trying to get across to people. You know, it's like, you know, if, you, if you're going to drink, that's okay. You know, just if it's okay for you, I guess. But the point is, if you want to be healthy and you want to have a drink, you know, you should be making healthy choices, not just how much you drink, not just when you drink or how often you drink, but also what you drink. Yeah, I think that is a bit of a paradigm shift that I would like, like people to start sort of mm. taking on board. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly a, an important point, and especially with looking at the biodynamic farming and seeing who's been responsible in the production of products and like the wines, and mm-hmm. what's going to be like further in the success or otherwise of future generations. Working in harmony with the lands can be really something that needs to expand in, in what people do. Well, that's it. You know, if we want future generations to have, you know, not just wine, but food, we're definitely going to have to have to farm it a little bit differently than we have been for the past, uh, well, 50 years at least. You know, that is, that is something that has to change. What about the future of your own business? How do you see that progressing? Well, honestly, I'm not entirely sure. You know, obviously growing in Australia, we've just recently started distributing all over Australia. We were just doing Sydney and Melbourne before. So that's exciting. So hopefully, you know, with a little bit of, a, you know, marketing and awareness push there, we'll, you know, we'll reach, we'll reach more and more people. And that's essentially what I want to do. I would like to get to, well, exactly get to a point where I can start importing wines because, you know, a lot of these producers that are being imported in Australia, you know, they're, they're already kind of doing okay. You know, they're obviously already, they have people importing them, you know, they're selling their wines here. That's going great. I think there are just so many fantastic producers, you know, not just in Australia, but, you know, in all over the world, in France, in, UK, in the US, South America that, you know, are making fantastic wine and maybe they're just not making enough or they're just, they're just not famous enough. And they're just not getting discovered and they're just not getting imported into Australia or, you know, other parts of the world. And um, I would love to go over there, meet those people, find them and bring their wines over here for people to enjoy. You know, that would be, that would be a big goal of mine. Just, mm-hmm. and bring their stories to people, you know, just write about them, right? Like that's, 
you know, write about these growers, you know, tell people, you know, who made their wine, who grew their, who grew these grapes. I think that the human interest element is really fantastic, you know, as opposed to just drinking wine that comes out of essentially a factory, feeling like you're drinking a handcrafted product. I think that is, I think that is what I'm trying to get to people. And look, I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll um, start offering wine at different price points. At the moment, we just have the one pack. I really, really did my best to make it as affordable as possible. So basically, once you once you present all of my criteria to suppliers and wineries, you that really limits you. You know, that all of those criteria to have them met that costs money. Um, our wines are very far from being a luxury product, but yeah, they're not they're not dirt cheap either. But if people do if there is interest in maybe a little bit more premium wines, I would be very excited to bring that to people because, you know, there are some really amazing wines out there that fit our criteria, but um, they're just a little bit too pricey to go into uh, going through the current packs. So these really, really special bottles, you know, from uh, really amazing producers, I would, I would love to put that together for people and, you know, get that into their hands as well. If, if there is enough interest, that would be really great. For, for your listeners, by the way, in case anyone's wondering, um, and he's in Australia, it's, yeah, the packs, I think we're going to switch it up a little bit, but they're around 200 for, um, for a six-pack and just under 400 for, um, for a 12-pack. Yeah, and occasionally, you know, we do discount codes and stuff, so, you know, keep an eye out for those. I think it's a great niche that you've got there with more socially responsible and with awareness and all the suppliers, you get the provenance of knowing where it's come from and how it's been produced. So, yeah, it seems a really, really great aspect of your business and something that highlights what's possible. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what we're, that's what we're all about. I mean, you know, I, that's, those are the kind of wines that I've been interested in for quite a while. You know, not necessarily the you know, health conscious aspect. I wasn't really thinking about that at the time. But yeah, wines made, you know, artisanally with minimal intervention by small producers who have a soul and a story. That those are the wines that I've been interested in for, for ages, for probably a decade now. When natural wines sort of first started to appear in Australia as a main as a main force, you know, that was yeah, probably around ten years ago, just a little bit less, maybe like eight years ago. That's when we really started to notice it. And it was a hard sell at the time. People, you know, people weren't really interested in it. And then once it stopped being a hard sell, it started to, there was a lot of copycats out there. You know, there's a lot of people going out, buying, you know, non-organic or non-biodynamic fruit, just, you know, conventionally grown fruit and um, just trying to make these funky and weird wines, you know, in order to kind of, you know, hitch their, hitch their wagon to the, uh, <laughs> to the, you know, natural wine train. And that gave the wines a bit of a, bit of a bad rep you know, because, you know, natural wines all suddenly started being seen as like sort of funky and weird as opposed to superior and, you know, like low intervention. That's, and that, that's quite unfortunate. And we're still kind of fighting against that. People are still viewing natural wine as, a, as, as, as somehow weird and, 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 and strange and unnatural, weirdly, as opposed to kind of wine the way it's meant to be, which is something I'm really pushing against. And it's funny, I've had suppliers kind of, you know, try and sell wines to me based on how sort of funky and weird they are, kind of going, oh, you're going to love this. This is like really right up your alley. I'm like, really? What, what, it would, what is my alley? They go, oh, you like sort of natural stuff. I'm like, no, I don't like natural stuff. I like 
pesticide-free grapes made without any additives. Like that's what I like. The resulting wine can be playful and easy drinking, or it can be, you know, more serious and structured. It can be anything in between, you know, like the, I like, I like wine that tastes fantastic and that is, you know, made in this way. That's, that's what I like. I don't like anything that's, I mean, I like weird wines as well, but I don't necessarily like weird wines because I like natural wine. There's just a real kind of misconception uh, when it, when it comes to that. So in the practicalities of like natural wines, are you still going to experience a hangover the day after? Uh, you might. I mean, depending on how much you drink. I mean, it's certainly, there are, there are reasons why you would potentially have less of a hangover from natural wine. Um, and especially why you would have less of a hangover from wine that, from the kind of wine that I sell. I'll, I'll, I'll just go through that a little bit for you. So, um, well, first of all, one of the main reasons why you get a hangover is because of the alcohol you consume. If you're drinking wine that's lower in alcohol, that's you consuming less alcohol, so you would have less of a hangover. You can, of course, compensate for this by drinking more of the wine, and then you'll end up with a hangover regardless. But if you're sitting there and you're drinking three glasses of 10% alcohol wine and three glasses of 15.5% alcohol wine, well, 15.5% alcohol wine is going to give you more of a hangover. That's, that's the first thing. Also, just having additional additives and stuff in the wine and just having a bunch of crap in there that your liver has to detox probably not helpful if your liver can just focus on the um on the alcohol that is uh, that is probably ideal and lastly sulfur is an interesting element of this so for people with sulfur sensitivities they can have some problems you know mostly because again like they can get a bit of a reaction to the sulfur and then that kind of throws their detox out of the, out of whack and just kind of causes them a headache in and of itself but sulfur is also interesting if um Okay, because this is why I kind of mentioned sulfur isn't just important in terms of how much of it is added to the wine. It's when it's added that is important as well. So if you add sulfur right at the end before bottling, even if you add like a fair bit, which, you know, I don't allow, but even if you did for sake of argument, it wouldn't be a huge deal because um, it would just be free sulfur. It would just kind of, it would, it would slowly dissipate out of the bottle. Even though the bottle's closed, there is some, there is some gas exchange and that level would kind of go down over time. If sulfur is added early on, in the winemaking process. So after the grapes are picked or after they're crushed or after the first ferment, you know, before the malolactic fermentation, whatever, you know, people add sulfur at all sorts of points, you know, in order to kind of really put their hands on and control the process, which, you know, I don't allow in my wines. Mine can only have sulfur added right at the end. But if you add it early, this sulfur kind of binds in there. It binds to um, certain compounds in the wine and it kind of hangs around. So then it doesn't really act as a preservative anymore. It's just there. But you have to keep adding more and more sulfur in order to have some free sulfur there in order to preserve the wine. And But once this free sulfur sort of blows off, then the bound sulfur becomes unbound and becomes free sulfur. So you basically, then you're stuck with the sulfur forever. You know, there's just all of this, there's this whole reservoir of bound sulfur that can sort of unbind and blow off and then unbind again and just kind of sticks around. So you kind of always have it. The other problem, and this is specifically related to hangovers, is um, if you add sulfur during the fermentation, the yeast, in order to protect itself from the sulfur, produces acetaldehyde. And this acetaldehyde, acetaldehyde binds to the sulfur and kind of, you know, that, that, that's the yeast's protection mechanism. Creates acetaldehyde, which then kind of grabs the sulfur and protects the yeast. Now, acetaldehyde does cause hangovers. And there's a significant difference in the amount of acetaldehyde in a wine that's had sulfur added early and a wine that hasn't had sulfur added early. So that is a problem that you might have. It's not so much about the sulfur that is in the wine now. It's more about the sulfur that was in the wine 
back when it was being made. And natural wine with no added sulfur, you know, at least not right up until the end before bottling, has lower levels of acetaldehyde. And that is a decent reason why you might, you would have less of a hangover. Again, you can't guarantee anything. You sit there and you drink a bottle of natural wine, you know, to yourself, you'll probably have a hangover. You know, that's, that's inevitable. But it is, you, you, drinking natural wine is, is, is better, definitely, if you are trying to avoid a hangover for, for those reasons. I know the last time I had a glass of red wine, it, it felt really heavy. And within a few hours, I had an absolute banging headache and just thinking, maybe I'm not up to drinking red wine anymore. And people do say they get bad experiences with alcohol and they don't touch that certain alcohol, whatever it was again, don't they? Oh, that happens. You know, you get situations where, you know, someone drinks too much cheap tequila in, you know, at university and, um, you know, they don't want to drink tequila ever again, even though tequila is one of the sort of cleaner spirits out there. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's like tequila is generally one of the, you know, more high quality spirits, but there you go. You know, people kind of just have a bad experience with bad tequila and that's it. It's over. And same as like, yeah, with red wine. Look, I don't know. I mean, with red wine, another reason why you might have had a headache is because of the histamines in red wine. You don't really get this problem with white wine or even with rosé, really. This is from the tannins that are extracted into the red wine, which sometimes can be a problem, sometimes not. I mean, I do find that people generally have those problems less with my wines because they're kind of more gentle extractions. There's no kind of added tannins. Often often people react to tannins that are added to wine, and this happens with cheaper wines. Like, I'm not sure what kind of wine you had, but, you know, if it was more of a commercial wine, then, you know, could have had tannin added to it, and that, that can be a problem. But also, yeah, look, I don't know. People generally have less of a problem with my wine and my wines on the whole. They just they're just gentle and they're just elegant and sort of pure and natural and they just seem to agree with people more mm. on the whole. You know, some of it some of it I can explain with science, some of it I can't. It's kinda of like biodynamic farming. You know, some of the stuff I look at that they do and I go, Well, you know, I don't really see how that helps, but can't argue that it works. You know, it does something. Fantastic. Is there one thing that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Well, yeah, I don't know if they're Australian, if they're uh, in Australia, you know, check out, check out Ferravina Wines. If you like what we do, you know, grab yourself a pack. I'm sure you won't regret it. If you don't, you know, take some of this advice and think about what, um, think about what you're drinking. You know, if you, if you enjoy wine, fantastic. If you care about your health, then, um, you know, maybe take some of the advice that I gave here, you know, look for, Look for wine that's natural. Look for wine that's low in low in sulfur and where the sulfur is added right at, right at the end before bottling. That's quite important. Look at the alcohol level of your wine. People don't. Most people just think a glass of wine is a glass of wine. You know, you can have ten percent wine and a fifteen percent wine. You know, we don't we don't think about that. We we think about it in terms of spirits. If I'm having a navy strength gin versus a normal gin, you know, I'm very well aware of the fact that a navy strength gin is a lot more alcoholic, but. I don't think about that in terms of in terms of wine, and maybe we should. And also, hidden sugar in wine—that's one of the things that uh, we didn't really talk about here in the podcast. But that's one of my major criteria that my wines have to be essentially sugar-free. And um, not all wine is, you know. Even wines that purport to be dry can have 12 grams per liter, 16 grams per liter of hidden sugar in there. The wine doesn't have to have an ingredients label, so it's not like you can check. Even if you ask someone in a bottle shop, like, "Hey, this dry wine, you know, how much?" sugar does it have? They won't have any idea. You know, they'll be able to tell you, oh, this one's sweet, this one's dry, but they won't be able to tell you how much sugar the dry wine has. And if you're on like a ketogenic diet or 
like um, trying to have some other kind of sugar-free diet, well, that's, that's a problem for you. For me, yeah, that's why I like to let people know exactly, you know, how much sugar is in their wine. I've got it in my tasting notes. When you buy wine from me, you, you get told exactly how much sugar is in there. That's all I can tell people. I hope that I've kind of managed to pull back the veil a little bit and reveal a few things about, about wine and about how you can maybe, you know, make some healthier choices when it comes to the wine you drink. And I hope you'll take them on board. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's certainly given myself something to think about and not just randomly picking a bottle off the shelf and thinking that's got a label that I know, so that's the one I'll go for. Definitely look into different independent brands. So, Mike, where can listeners find out more about you? Just reiterate for us. Oh, follow me on, uh, follow me on Instagram at Ferravina Wines. And also we've got our, uh, we've got our website where there's a lot of fantastic information. That's where you can, uh, that's where you can buy, uh, buy a wine pack from us if you're interested. And that is just ferravina.com.au. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you on the show and really informative. And I'm sure there's plenty of wine drinkers that will be like, oh, there's things here that I really need to start paying attention to. So yeah, I hope so. Brilliant. Yeah. So thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure all mine. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural Life Flow. If you did, please feel free to like, comment, share the podcast with your friends and subscribe. Write a review. It all helps with spreading the word. Thank you.